Breakdown Podcast, a reword podcast for the honest TV show Mad Men. My name is Paula Olapombi, and I've seen the show a couple of times. I look at the show from a subtextual meta point of view because I have no life. <laughs> uh, and my, my name is Hala Bali, and this is technically my first watch through, um, and I'm only half paying attention because I've got a new kitten and he's currently eating the floorboards. Um, so bear with. Uh, today's episode is The Inheritance. Paul is excited to go on a business trip to Los Angeles, but neglects to tell his girlfriend about his plans. Uh, Pete is excited for the trip as well, but grapples with the idea of adoption. And Betty visits her father, who's suffering from dementia, and Don tags along. Yeah, the inheritance. Um, So we've been away for a while, a long, long while. It's two months, I think, something like that. Is it two months or three months? I'd say about... Seven weeks. Seven weeks. Okay, it's not. A, okay. But but it depends how long it's going to take you to edit this and put it out. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a very very good point. Right. Anyway, so I've been away for a while, um, trying to figure out how this show works and how this episode works. I uh, can't make any promises that it's going to make any sense when we talk about it. But um, let's ease ourselves in quietly and ask Helen what did she think of this episode because she might have more to say about it. Do you know what? I'm going to be really honest. Go on thought this episode was really boring <laughs> i was like oh it's so like life admin you know when you're like in lockdown and the last thing you want is to watch other people just like going about their lives and pretending everything's fine when it isn't <laughs> yeah, yeah and i was just a bit like oh my god and they're just complaining about everything and i was just like oh for god's sake you people don't know <laughs> what did you uh, what do you think of the title the inheritance so, I mean, I don't really know what I think about that. I mean, I get it. It's very literal in some senses. Okay. But it's, for me, the theme for this week was all about parenting. Okay. okay. Um, and parents and children, um, yeah. I would say. I think it was a fairly obvious one for me this week. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I totally agree. Um, but when you say you felt the inheritance thing was quite obvious, what do you mean? Well the fact that none of them have inherited anything good. (laughs) (laughs) They're all horrible people because they've all had shitty inheritances. All right, fair enough. That's what I'll say. I mean, I guess the, it's sort of the inheritance is like, because obviously Pete gets his, well, his lack of inheritance from his dad. Yep, yep. Um, That's the thing that happens. But yeah, it's, I guess, what we take from our parents, isn't it? There's a lot of that, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I thought this episode... I thought this episode was about loads of things. I think you've kind of touched on touched on what I thought it was about as well. Like, mainly it's about the parents and, like, kids and growing up and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it, this is really Betty's episode. It's, mm. like, how I think it's gone. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and that's the other thing. I was like, oh... It felt like a really long episode because they sort of left the house. It really felt like a long episode because I, I, they sort of left the dad's house and got home and then had the whole like conversation by the stairs about what's going on and then fucking 
Glenn turns up. A whole other show. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> Creepy Glenn's back. Also, fun yeah. fact: Did you know that he's played by Matthew Weiner's son? Yes, I did. See, I did not until I read about it and was yeah. like, why would you put your son in that role? But okay. <laughs> to be honest, I think the reason I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking that maybe it's because like there's two reasons that you do something like that. One is quite a you know a, a narcissistic thing where you just put in your family in the tv show right which i don't think that's it like i don't think it's that that blatant um the other thing is you could look at it from a quite a uh empathetic point of view where he put his son in the show because he doesn't want anyone else to play that role because it's kind of it's kind of a creepy role and you kind of need to be a good parent to kind of like you know you know look after a kid who's in the role like that and also I think there's something about the fact that it's it's Matthew Weiner's child and almost the way he interacts with Betty is very as if you know if you say if you take that's a cat by the way if you take, if you take um, Don as being a version of Matthew Weiner then Glenn is also a version of Matthew Weiner as well so I think it's quite deliberate mm. um, so yeah it, it, it was weird but um, it's just I think this this episode was a bit kind of um, yeah it was it was basically about Betty is about Betty and her and how she's grown up and how she's basically separated herself from Don but there's loads of things uh, within that so like you know back to the whole Lacan thing I haven't forgotten about him Um there's this thing that Lacan talks about. I've, I mentioned it before. <laughs> Sorry, all the rustling is the cat, literally. I think the cat thinks he's in, like, the jungle or something. Do you want me to put him in the kitchen? No, no, no. He no. might cry. No, it's fine, it's fine. I'm sure he's... Uh, I'm, I'm really sorry, everyone. It's, it's, it's not my fault. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners love it. We should have a picture of the cat. Oh, yeah. Um, so, um, Elton, by the way, that's his name. Anyway, um, so the episode is basically about this thing called castration. Um, from a Lacanian point of view, right? And castration involves this idea of lack, and um, <laughs> he's got a paper ball. Do you want me to take it off him? No, no, no. He's just, he'll be so sad. It's fine, it's fine. Uh, lack is basically, we're all, as I think we've talked about it before, where like human beings are made out of like a lack, where we're always, because we're always yearning for things and we always want things. And it's this kind of idea that, um, well, as we go through the episode, we'll talk about it and I'll, I'll like try and explain it or try not to explain it and try and avoid it. I don't know. But uh, let's talk about Paul. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about Paul. <laughs> I thought he was boring this episode. You thought, oh, I, I thought he was cool, man. I, I thought he was, I thought he kind of uh, embodied this idea of lack and growing up, like, as well as anyone. Like, I think the three characters, so, like, Paul... Actually, four characters. So, you've got Paul, you've got Pete, and you've got Betty and Don. And all three of... All four of them sort of, like, grow up in a way for the episode. Um, we could start... We, I guess we could start with the first scene. Mm. Um, so, in this first scene, we see them all sitting around and they're talking. And the first thing we see is Pete reading out all those companies. And this thing... I'm going to try and talk about this, but it's, it's really complicated. So this thing about castration is it involves a lot of objects and it involves a lot of like the lack of an object. And mm. stuff. So there's like different types of objects. So you've got like imaginary objects, you've got real objects and you've got symbolic objects, right? 
real imaginary. Uh, and in this case, they're talking about imaginary objects. And I feel like this first scene is really about male privilege. Yes. So when you see them talking and it's like all this stuff about them going on this holiday and it's like, it's, it's almost like Pete and Paul are like the, um, the favourite sons, right? And yes, then, very at, much. And then at one point, I think um, someone says something about um, a fantasy. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's our fantasy or something. And, and Sal says, it's our fantasy too in terms of like him and um, Peggy. Mm. And like, you know, Sal's the gay guy and um, Peggy's the woman and it kind of like all this stuff just seems to be kind of heaped up onto the two straight guys in the in, in the in the company and I feel like a, a lot of this episode revolves around that as well this idea of um, privilege and like who gets who inherits like yeah the, um, the, the object in life or, or the, the, the opportunity the opportunities in mm. life yeah so I thought it was a cool. There's loads of stuff in in that first scene, and I couldn't quite nail all of it. So there's like stuff about Beverly Hills and Pasadena, which I kind of had a look around, but I couldn't really get my head around properly. Did you have any thoughts on that scene? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Too busy feeding the cat. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. I I did watch it, but again, I was like, oh, they're just talking about going on a business trip in exactly the kind of way I would imagine that they would talk about going on a business trip. Did you see the way um, that Peggy was talking about getting the autographs and like how Pete was like, oh, I'll get you an autograph for the yeah. thing, and it was like this whole thing as well of like how Pete is trying sort of like rushing in there to be the hero and sort of like help her out. It's stuff. funny because I think there is some, an interesting development with the whole Peggy Pete thing in this episode. Okay. All right. And well, I think I think what's interesting about this scene and the scene with Don in the office is that you're right, they're set up almost like a, a sort of family. Now you said favoured children. Yeah. I would say possibly naughty children. And she's oh, really? like she's almost like the little sister in this though, isn't yeah, she? She is yeah. very much like the good little sister. Um, she is very good and yeah. you know even to the point where sort of Don sort of goes did you read anything that she wrote and they yeah. they have the yeah they do look a bit like no we didn't but you know it is that whole thing of she's sort of like she you can see she sort of looks up to them at this point and then by the end it's like yeah, 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 but anyway yeah. that's, that's a very good point I didn't I did not notice that uh, but there, I, there was something you said there that I think we'll return to at some point um, but yeah that's a really good point um, there's also the, the bit where Don's talking about these clients and how to treat them and stuff. And it is very much like as if he's talking about uh, seducing women and sort of like how sort of how you kind of treat them and how you sort of like talk to them and stuff, which I found really interesting. Um, but yeah, so that's, um, I guess, so that's the, that's that sets everything up. So that gives us, that tells us where three of our main characters are. So we've got like, We've got Paul and Pete going on this holiday and Don staying behind like the father, as, as if he's the father kind of sending them off sort of thing. Um, and then the next time we see Paul is when he meets Sheila in the office, which I loved. <laughs> I love the beginning of this scene. I don't know if you noticed it. There's like a really weird thing where um, you see Sheila walk into the office and you see, um, I can't remember her name, one of the secretaries walking at the same time. I can't remember, she doesn't introduce them. But when Sheila meets Paul, and like I think Paul kisses her on the cheek, 
you see her in the background and she just rolls her eyes or she just looks like with disgust and just like really <laughs> yeah. i didn't notice that <laughs> yeah it's really oh. it's really subtle <laughs> so i think that's kind of interesting that we kind of we get that sort of mm. thing um but yeah did you have anything to say i mean this is where pete basically puts his foot in it and um and like uncovers the fact that Paul's going on this trip and he hasn't told his girlfriend. Did you have any thoughts on that? No. No. <laughs> I'm sure you do though. I, I, well, funny you should say that. This goes on for ages, this scene. And it's really, I think it really um, shows up um, uh, Sheila as, and it shows up Paul as well because we kind of know that Paul's a bit of a, What's the word? I don't. Well, what, I guess he'd be called a um, SJW. You know, right? <laughs> he'd be, yeah, he's very performative about how, like, what he's doing, and he wants to be seen doing all these kind of like good things for for worthy causes and stuff, and showing off his kind of like intelligence and all that kind of thing. And I think it's interesting um, when they talk. Paul says something. And you see Joan walk past. When, when he mentions L.A., Joan walks past. Oh, yeah. And um, L.A. is kind of like a weird word. Like, you know how the show kind of uses words to mean for other meanings and stuff like that? Um, L- anytime L.A. comes up, it's usually used in terms of, like, another woman at the end of a relationship or another mm. woman's involved in the scene or something like that. And I do get this sense, like, in this scene that Paul is... Maybe not um, not wanting to break up with Sheila as such, but like he's very torn about the idea of he's he's worried about settling down. Like I put the theme as like um, uh, responsibility and sort of like running away from responsibility, and you know, so he kind of like drags her away, and then he starts talking to her, and he they talk about. Um, they talk about going to Mississippi and how it's gonna, you know, he's scared of like um, bullets and he's scared of getting shot and he's scared of like um, people screaming and shouting and stuff. And to me, it sounded very much like being in like almost like a, a shotgun wedding sort of thing. Like, mm. like it, it's it, it's almost like they're talking about marriage in a way. And he's kind of like terrified of settling down, terrified of growing up basically. And so he kind of like makes all makes all these kind of like excuses and one of the things that um uh sheila says to him is why won't you talk to me about it and what i like this i like this line um paul says it's a convention we're not allowed to talk about it Mm. and i like the idea like the double meaning of that where you know they are going to a convention but at the same time the idea of talking about your feelings is a convention especially at that time um and that period um, and then they go into the lift, um, and they <laughs> they see Hollis in there. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Because <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing with Paul is I feel like he doesn't really know what it is that he wants, and I think because I mean, my thoughts on it is that he doesn't. I I don't get the sense that he loves Sheila. Yeah, I don't get that at all. I think. I mean, I did pick up on the breaking up, but I do question why he is with her. And, well. I, and I also think that he, he's very much like a... He, he's he got two different masks on in this episode, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. 
and he sort of like can't quite juggle between the two. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a horrible scene because of the supermarket quote in particular is yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty um, brutal. I so I think I don't. So you say it's horrible. I I just think it's funny. I think Paul <laughs> looks really pathetic in this scene. I, I, what do you mean by horrible? Well, I mean, it's not a very nice thing to say to someone, is it? Like, oh, you can work at any oh, supermarket. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Do you I know what I mean? That. It's like that's because he's kind of going, oh, I can't just walk into another ad agency, but you can work in any supermarket. As yeah. if to say, like, I mean, it's a horrible comment. As if her job's kind of like... Is that, well, it's not, even, it's not even that. It's just like, it's almost like him saying to her, that's the best you're ever going to do. <laughs> right, yeah, I guess. It's good and, he, and it's almost like, because that's... Because of the time that they're in, that's sort of, I guess, normal. Yeah, it's true. But seeing it at this, you know, in 2021 is fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the time, I but even, even the thing where, because there's a whole thing about the names as well, isn't there? Because um, what does he... Isn't there like a... They say some stuff about names like and he pretends that he... Doesn't he say something to Hollis where he's like... Well, he does talk to Hollis. <laughs> I'll get to that. <laughs> but that's it. Like, like he, I don't know. I feel like he's a coward. <laughs> right. Okay, like, okay. He's a coward and he doesn't... He doesn't know what to do and he's making it everyone else's problem. And the thing is, the business trip is the easy way to get out of... Well, yeah. But even the business trip, like, even with the whole, like, Don saying to him, like, he does all the talking. Yeah, 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 this, yeah, totally. It's like, he can't really be trusted. Yeah, totally. I see, yeah, totally, I get that. So, I saw it more that, yeah, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to go on, he doesn't want to go to Mississippi. Like I said, it's like this whole idea of responsibility and taking responsibility and maturity, and he's, he doesn't want to do that. So instead of just saying it and being honest, mm. he kind of like hides behind this whole thing of I've got to go on this trip and I have to do this. But what's really, what, why I keep laughing at this scene is the way um, he keeps looking at Hollis as if mm. to say like, A, look at my girlfriend and B, can you believe this shit? And it's kind of, he's, so there's this thing like, so I talk about this, this idea of lack, right? And I'm trying to work out how I'm going to explain it. There's three types of lack, right? You've got symbolic castration, you've got imaginary castration, and you've got real privation, right? And they involve, like, three different types of father, right? Mm. Or three different agents. So three different, like, sort of members of the family or three different people that the subject is reacting against. Uh, you've got the real father, you've got symbolic mother, and you've got the imaginary father. The point I'm trying to make is that um, Hollis, to to me, to Hollis in this scene is um, what um, Paul sees as the imaginary father. And... Um, <laughs> what, so he's like looking to him to see, am I, am I doing this right? Exactly, yeah, he's yeah. still like looking, almost like looking up to him, look what I've got, kind of like, and, and also <laughs> Sheila is, this is going to sound weird, but Sheila is to Paul a symbolic phallus. Like she's something that <laughs> that he's he's got hold of. He's like, look, and he's like, look what I, do you know what I mean? He's mm. showing it off. It's kind of like this thing that he has control over him. He has hold of. Um, I find that really interesting. I just find that fascinating. And that, the, the idea of the, the, the different types of lack is all the way through this episode. So then we don't see Paul again for ages and ages and ages. Um, 
Oh, there's, there's one more thing I want to talk about in that scene. So at the end, he sort of asks, like, why can't it wait? Like, he, like, he, cause, yeah, like, yeah. And, um, and then we see that we'll talk about it later, but then we jump to this, um, scene with Pete and looking at his mother's assets. But we'll talk about that later. Mm. It's interesting how the two scenes kind of, um, mirror up to each other. Um, and then we see, um, Paul, next time we see Paul is when he's told he can't go to LA. Um, in a scene where everybody's laughing and joking. Yeah, where Joan comes over and is like, give me a ticket. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, you got anything to say about that? What, that entire scene or just that? Bit? Well, I guess we can go through the whole scene. Um, if you remember the scene. Do you want me to... No, I remember it. I mean, they give him a Playboy and... No, no, so this... I, I... So that, that scene split into three parts. So we've got the Playboy bit at the beginning. Oh, it's all merged into Don. one scene in my brain. And then we've got the... So in the bit I'm talking about is where we come back to the scene and we we see... Um, what's his name? Talking to... Uh, we see Harry saying that he could go on this trip um, if he, you know, when he... Um, in a few months. And he's kind of like, you know, I can go whenever I want. And we see Hildy kind of like tell oh um, yeah that was weird he'll be tell harry that she's, she's really happy for him basically this scene's basically about um rejection and how people respond to rejection so everyone's kind of like you know um harry's kind of like making excuses for the fact that hey i can go anytime it's fine but he also makes this freudian slip where he says i need to shave my face do you remember that no he says like i have to go i, I have to go up there but i have to so I can show my, so I can shave my face. Sorry, show my face, and it's almost like uh, I think the 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 implication is that he kind of the reason he's not going is basically because he's too junior, and they don't trust him with that. And then we've got the whole thing with with Hildy where she's like, um, you know, she's saying all this stuff about how she's really happy, and I, what did you think of that by the way? If anything, I mean, I think it. It was just quite sad. <laughs> so I think this is to me it's like this idea of when when we do get um uh when we do get rejected, we deal with it, we put on a brave face. So when people are dealing with rejection, uh, an extreme in you know, in general terms of dealing with rejection, um, is, you know, to turn to coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't say specifically alcohol, you know, alcohol's one of the things, but like coping mechanisms in general. And in the scene previous, um, Joan says to Don, I'll keep the drunks away. And Joan, in that scene, we'll talk about it later, is very much like, you know, she's very maternal in that scene. She's like very sort of, she's very much like a mother. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. But we're not talking about him, we're talking about Paul. And Paul kind of gets told that he's not going on this trip and he's he looked absolutely destroyed he's like absolutely gutted about it um i just i just think it's really and and the fact that everybody's laughing at him as well um so one of the things about laughter is like i think there's a lot of laughter in the show and it's always used in these really sort of like i said i think i said it last last episode that um laughter seems to be used a lot to cover up really sad situations I think, like, you know, you could consider that the sad situation is always something to do with lack. It's always to do with this idea of lack and this kind of idea of nothingness and 
and how to how to fill that with something kind of quite <laughs> what? Why, why are you laughing oh it's just a cat <laughs> so Paul puts on a brave face and he wants to he wants to he, he ends up sort of leaving um what did so when he goes to and then he goes to go and speak to um goes to speak to Sheila right and he said he's saying all this stuff to Sheila he's talking to her about uh, he's having this like really sort of weird conversation because you never actually see, we know Sheila's available to shoot and she can be in the show and stuff but we never actually see her face mm. we just see everything from uh, Paul's point of view I thought that was really interesting what do you mean we never see her face well when he's on the phone to her oh yeah and they're having the conversation um, we never see, we never see what she's saying. We never see anything from her point of view. And to me, it's like that whole scene to me was like really about selfishness of Paul and how he's just kind of like, not necessarily selfish, but like now he's kind of, he's been rejected and he sort of rushed to Sheila as a way of dealing with the rejection, dealing with this idea of lack. So like he doesn't have... Is it though, or is it... Because the thing is, he was more bothered about losing his job before. Although, from the way he was talking to her, he was like, I can't just walk into another ad, ad agency. But he was lying. Well, yeah, but she doesn't know that. Mm. You're assuming that she knew, she knows that and she doesn't. Mm. From, her, from her point of view, he's basically going, oh, you know, I have to do this for my job. That's his, he's sacrificing. Yeah. And he hopes that she'll understand that. But then it's almost like he then suddenly it, he, it, it puts him in a heroic position, I suppose. Yeah. And then he he finds out that he's not going, and rather that he's saving face, isn't he? Because then he's like, do you know what? I could just ring up and say, oh, I, I can come now. Yeah, he's totally doing. But he's yeah. doing it. He's doing both, I think. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think he's he's being like he's trying to be heroic and he's trying to be. <laughs> You're laughing now. It's not me. Because <laughs> he's going nuts. <laughs> yeah, he he is um trying to be he's trying to be. Um, heroic and stuff but at the same time I think that's the heroicness is just a cover up for the fact that he feels rejected um, which we will come back to later on in another story um, but, I, but what my put the point that I was trying to get at was that Paul doesn't want to be left with nothing that's the point that I'm trying to make is it's like if it had come down to it and she'd said right it's either your job or me at mm. the point that the trip he probably would have chosen the job you think yeah i think so oh yeah yeah no i i, I agree and I... and the fact is he can't if he loses both he's got nothing yeah so it's that whole thing of it's self-preservation i guess more than he's he's because then i mean that obviously the next scene we see him he's on the bus mm-hmm. and he's like bragging isn't he i don't does it but that's the thing on that bus do you think he looks happy? Well, no, but he's making himself feel important. Okay, I okay. would say that. Okay, because I, I would have. I guess you're right. You think he looks happy on the bus? No, I don't think he looks happy at all. I don't think he wants to be there. I think he's. I think he. So he's talking on this bus about Marx, which is really. I, <laughs> I don't really want to go too far into that, but like he's basically talking about Marx and like Marx. You know, I don't really want to talk too much about me Marx deals a lot with um, um, human beings and commodification of human beings and all that kind of stuff right I don't fully know you're, you're, you're nodding so 
Um, I think I'm on the right track. And he says, I think the last thing Paul says is, um, yeah, the consumer, the consumer has no color. Yeah. And I think that's like a weird thing to say. And I don't, I think he, obviously he's saying it in a sort of like positive way as if, as if, you know, I see no color and all mm. that kind of stuff. But I think the point the show's trying to make is that color is part of a person's, part, color is a person's lack, right? So the, the point of lack is you kind of have to uh, appreciate that you've got it. Because if you don't appreciate you've got it, then you sort of, you don't have a personality. Because we all have a lack, but all everybody's lack is a different thing. So you could have, you could be missing something in your life. And the life that you live is trying to, um, trying to fill this lack with whatever. So you, you know, you, whatever your job is, whatever your, your, your way of dealing with art is, whatever, you know, you, the thing that you look for defines mm. who you are as a person. Mm. And by saying that the consumer has no color, you're saying that people of color can't use that idea of being different as something that sets them apart. And it's weird because I know that like there is the idea of, you know, color can set people back and it gives people a disadvantage. But if you're working towards um, improving that advantage, it gives you, it's like, let's say for instance, black comedians. Right? Mm. black comedians have like a specific thing that they can talk about because they're black to the point where you'll see a lot of people who are black let's say straight white men who are kind of a lot of their act is about complaining that they don't have anything to talk about or that, you know i don't have a thing sort of thing and i think by taking that away from a person that that sort of unique thing about them away from them you're kind of you're losing what's special about the person. I think that's kind of what that. That's why Mark's coming. But that's, up but that's. I mean, that's advertising, though, isn't it? I mean, it is. It's about selling. Yeah. And I think even in modern day, it's that. I mean, representation is 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 a whole thing. It's a yeah. whole like yeah. I mean, it we is. could go on about representation for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and you know, you get to the point where you think, oh. You can take like a girl, a, a female clothing brand, and they'll just say, "Right, we'll have one black model and one white model," mm. and that's fine then because we're representing. But that's the thing is, is a hot. There's so many other things, and also is it is just like that whole thing is you can't just put someone in that situation. Like it's like uh, I mean the other the other thing you know obviously there's like able bodied people and non able bodied people yeah, yeah. and then um, there's the body positivity movement, which is obviously bigger women, mm-hmm. and everyone wants representation. Mm-hmm. But in by representing everyone, mm-hmm. you're really representing Nobody. no one. Right, okay. I see what you which, mean. Because it's like, you're almost back to the point where it's kind of like, because it's, because it's representing everyone, nobody has, people don't have anything to say about it. That's what I mean. I'm not talking about representation as such. I'm talking about that thing that's unique about you, that's the lack. That it's not the idea that you're representing everyone. It's more the I think it goes deeper than just these guys on the bus. I think it's more about how these the the lack inherent with all of us is our greatest strength, even though it's and, and we shouldn't be trying to hide it and pretend it's not there. Yeah, no, we agreed. Should be using it to kind of announce ourselves to the world in a sort of way which is kind of why people are kind of 
you know the idea of being proud of yourself and being yeah, sort yeah. of like saying this is who I am and this is this is how this is my sort of contribution to the world sort of thing. I think when he says consumer has no color, it's kind of it negates all that. It kind of takes that away. Um, yeah, uh, there's other things as well in that scene, but like yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I guess the the one the the other thing I'd say about it is that's kind of the fact that he's on this bus is kind of on this bus full of these people and he's kind of he doesn't want to be there. It's that idea of him people pleasing as well, where he's got the, he's got to that point by not saying by not saying who he is by not sort of like saying I don't want to go on this trip and I want to do. Do you know what I mean? He's kind of he's hidden his he's hidden himself. And he's ended up on this bus that he doesn't want to be on as part of this homogenous group of people. And it's like, that, I think that's what he's saying. You know mm. what I mean? That's, I think that's the that's why the whole Marx thing comes up. Anyway, we got there in the end. <laughs> um, so that's, that's, um, that's Paul's story. Uh, shall we do Pete's story now as well? Sure. Okay. Um, so the first time we see Pete outside of the office is when him and Trudy are having a chat. Um, oh, about kids and the bad. Kids, yes. So what did you think of that? Well, we know she's the problem. <laughs> does she know she's the problem? Yes, yeah, she does. Yeah, she. They had a massive fight about it. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it has been like two months. <laughs> and it's been a while. I don't, yeah. I don't remember everything. But okay, fine. So she months. wants to adopt. Yeah. He's less yeah. bothered about adopting. Well, it's not just that. I mean, I guess the whole the whole scene is the fact that Trudy wants to she really wants to come out do you want to let her in yeah (laughs) so yeah so we should talk about the whole how the scene sort of goes along so it starts off with um, Trudy coming into bed and she's like trying to get Pete to take her away to this oh yeah on the trip yeah and Pete's like no you can't come because you know I won't take me serious yeah Yeah, because she's there um, so she basically, so he basically, as with um, as with um, Paul at the end of the, the last scene, he basically rejects her, and she kind of has to find something else. Mm. So she kind of she decides to go with her parents, um, and yeah, that's, I, I guess I don't really want to go into what I think that's privation again, but I don't really want to spend too long on it. Um, but I think that's really interesting, and I like the facts. I liked how this scene ended, um, with her saying, "You love me, yeah. and I'm not. I haven't got the same blood as you." Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Because I think a lot of this scene, a lot of this show as well, this episode is about identification and how you know love and identification are very similar things, like how you identify with certain people, um, and how you sort of like take on the traits of those people, mm. and you don't identify with other people and the, the reasons why um and i think that's kind of what that's hinting at, at that in 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 that scene um so the next time we see pete is um when him and bud are discussing their mother's assets well how she doesn't have any yeah yeah um and, and pete's like can we just can we just get it back from the Lincoln Center or whatever? Can we just ask for the donation back? Yeah, um, and they do that thing about rope. Uh, there's a, they they talk about this film rope. Yeah, I didn't get that. 
So the film Rope is basically about two guys that kill, um, they kill this this weak person just because they can, um, and then they go to jail for it. And it's been like sort of like made into like loads of different types of films and all all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's about these guys. So the the film Rope is about these these guys, um, Leopold and Loeb, and it's come up before in the show. Um, it's basically. It's another thing about identification. Uh, it's like people being bonded together in groups because, you know, they go through a hardship or they've got mm. a secret or stuff like that. What did you think about this scene? If you remember anything. Well, I recall them. They've already mentioned that the father had no money, haven't they? Yeah, so that's got so no I money. So I don't know why they weren't, su- why were they, were that surprised? Well, well, no, actually, no, they didn't. Oh, they did, I guess they did. They weren't really surprised. They were just kind of like, I think it was more the fact that if... If he didn't um, squander away all her money, and it's kind of interesting how this scene links up with the the scene with um, Sheila earlier on, where um, where um, Paul says, "Why can't it wait?" and she, and then it kind of cuts to this, and it's almost like to me, it kind of made me think about the fact that it's almost like if it waits, if if it's like. Um, if Sheila's in, if, if 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 it waits, then Paul kind of takes over the relationship, and Paul kind of obviously is irresponsible, cannot look after this relationship, and doesn't really know what he's doing, doesn't really want to be doing it. And that's kind of how um, um, Dot and and her husband or Pete's parents ended up in the situation they're in, because obviously the idea is that um, Pete's dad was really irresponsible with money and didn't wasn't a grown-up and mm. didn't, wasn't mature enough and didn't know how to deal with it and stuff um so yeah i think it's really that's really cool this um the thing that stands out to me the most about this this scene is the fact that um it, it's it's almost like there's a bit where bud is talking and 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 pete talks about this idea of adoption and stuff he says people do that yeah yeah and but there's What's really interesting is up until that point they've been, you know, they they're kind of you know it's like sibling rivalry sort of thing. But I think when when Pete tells Bud that he's thinking about adoption, Pete's re uh, Bud's really kind of empathetic to that, mm. and um, that's kind of it's a it's one of the it's one of the three types of uh, identification that you have. There's three different types of identification. The first part is you 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 mourn the loss of your birthright. The second part is um, you move on, and the third part is you become quite empathetic, mm-hmm. and that's what happens in the scene. Uh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> the next time we see the next time we see Pete is when we see him with because you know all that stuff about identification is basically what happens the next time we see him with his mother. But he doesn't identify with his mother. He identifies with his father. Mm. Did you get that? Yes. Right. Okay. Because what happens is they're talking and um, Dot is really sort of like, well, first of all, Bud is very much, you know, you were talking earlier about how um, Peggy was the little Miss Goody Two Shoes and sort of like doing all the right things. That's a phenomenon known as the ideal ego. Mm. And it's kind of like the person that acts, you know, is the good person that does everything that that you'd want and sort of like does the right thing all the time. 
That's kind of what Bud is doing. Mm-hmm. Problem with being the ideal ego is it's it's like being it's like offering yourself up to a person to be the phallus for them. It's like, and you end essentially you end up getting used. You end up sort of like just being sort of um, attending to someone else's needs. And that's basically what Peggy does at the beginning of the show. She doesn't actually get rewarded for anything. And it's also what happens here with in the scene with Dot, Bud and, and Pete, where um, Bud is being like the good boy and he's kind of like, you know, he's, he's making sure his mom's got everything and he's like speaking for her mom and he's doing all this stuff and he's like standing by her side. And Pete is really kind of, <laughs> Pete is, Pete's just, being a terrible basically he's been like this cat he's um <laughs> he's basically been a dick and um yeah i just i, I like that i think that's really really cool do you remember anything from that scene what the scene with the mum yeah just about her being really snooty about adoption yeah. Like I say, I feel like for me this episode was quite dull. <laughs> I was just sort of like, oh. <laughs> is that hard to... I just, yeah, I feel like it's particularly. When we talk about Betty, I'll probably remember a bit more because right. it was more interesting. Okay, okay. But the rest of them, it was like watching them go to a meeting <laughs> then watching them go to like sort out someone's finances after they died. I'm like, seriously, it's so fucking boring. I was like. <laughs> Don't care about any of this. I've got a question. Is this is this where you noped out the first time? Possibly around here, yeah. <laughs> it probably is, you know. Because I was like watching it just thinking it's like watching paint dry sometimes. Oh my God, I hope it gets better. <laughs> I hope it gets more interesting again. Do we get to see them in LA next week? Uh, um, uh, well, maybe you did. If you don't know, then you probably didn't know part at this point. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah. <clears throat> You probably don't remember that. Yeah, I glossed over the last few episodes, to be honest. Um, and all right, so we'll we'll skip that part then. But basically, that part was about Pete. So I like the end of the scene where Pete just kind of walks out, and it's like um, <laughs> I like the end of the scene where Pete walks out, and um, uh, Bud says he'll send him the things, and like Pete's just like, "Yeah, you do that," and he's you know he's like bossing the whole mm. thing. There's all stuff about his mum sort of like saying she doesn't, she she should have known about stuff and. Obviously, Pete's now the... It's almost like Pete's like the, the dad of the whole family and stuff. Mm. Um, and the next time we see Pete is when he's talking to Peggy. Now, you've got to have something good to say about this. Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, she looks great. <laughs> like that little gingham number. Ooh, Peggy. Um, I mean... What did you think that um, Pete was trying to do in this scene? <sighs> That's a great question. Um... I feel like he wanted Peggy to side with him. Yeah. I think he was looking at Peggy. I think he was trying to um, identify with Peggy. Like, in the same way. So, like, if you look at his arc with the whole show, <clears throat> it started off with him essentially telling his wife to go away. Um, and then also telling um, his mother to go away. And then, at the end, trying to, you know, connect to Peggy. Um as if, like, Peggy's got some sort of special thing. Like, he's almost scared to show um, uh, his wife his vulnerable side. Like, why isn't he telling his wife all this stuff? And he obviously can't tell his mum because 
you know, he's kind of he's a bit pissed off with her at the moment. Mm. So he's kind of the only person he's got to turn to, the only female figure. It's almost like... But the thing is, he can trust Peggy because Peggy kept a secret. That's true. That is true. And I think he trusts her and I think that's why he can say it to her because... That's a really good point. Even though, like, you know, he doesn't know the half of it, but she never told anyone about what happened between them. That's true. And then also, you know, he, he still sort of does... Like, I mean, he said he'd get her an autograph and all that. He does have a kind of caring sort of attitude towards... Not always, sometimes he's a dick. But I think I think their relationship is as such that he he still has feelings for her. But I think it's the same thing as the whole rejection thing, isn't it? With the other two characters where they run, where they run towards the person that they can... Um, Got an audience. <laughs> they run... <laughs> Stop staring at me. I'm not very happy with you. Um, in fact, just stand there and don't move. Um, Captivated. It's it's the it's the it's the idea of the the characters that sort of get rejected or sort of have nowhere to go. They go to the person that they trust the most. So, um, you know, Paul runs back to Sheila when things aren't going right for him, and Pete goes back to Peg. You're you're right about the whole thing that they've had this relationship. They've kind of shared this. It's almost like, you know, back to that idea of lack without going too deep into it. It's like at one point, I'm not trying to be rude, at one point they filled each other's lack, right? They kind of <laughs> identified, they, they identified with each other. And because of that, they have this weird bond where they don't actually like each other, but they can still talk. They still but I think he does. I think he's threatened by her sometimes. And I think he likes her yeah. sometimes. And I think in this instance... I think he's not in front of everyone else because he's got that sort of like, I'm the husband, I'm the son that's going to sort this out, I'm, yep. the, I'm the good one. And with her, he she knows, she's seen his. Yeah. And I think he's able to show her his vulnerability that's, that's, through, that's through, a good sub, through subtext because he doesn't, he never says to her, I'm scared of flying. He says, oh, my father died on a plane. Yeah. And that's kind of what he's getting at. And then he sort of, he hints, he doesn't tell her I'm unhappy. He very much hints at his unhappiness. That's true. And she understands what she, what he means. He just doesn't know how much she understands and how, and that makes her, I think, a little bit resentful towards him. Well, she, she does say, he does say at one point, um, so me and, me and my brother are, what does he say? Me and my brother are so, me and my brother turned out fine. And he's saying it in a very sort of, ironic kind of sarcastic kind of way but the look on peggy's face is very much as if he's bragging yeah which i thought was really cool um but so when you say he's um so what did you say <laughs> he's showing he's showing her vulnerability yeah so the, the vulnerability thing yeah i think that's a that's a great way of putting of 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 describing lack it's it's the it's your vulnerable side it's the thing that's missing in you it's and it's it's it can be something that you can be scared of. It can be something that you can take on and use as a definition of who you are. Um, the scene ends with Peg with Pete telling Peggy that everything's easy for her. Yeah, and that's really interesting. Where she says it's not easy for anyone because everyone has vulnerabilities, right? And everyone has a lack, as we keep saying. But it's because he because but this is the whole thing, though, isn't it? Is that every single character in this episode has vulnerabilities yeah 
and has them they're quite obvious vulnerabilities but still nobody will everyone yeah. puts up a front like, yeah, the whole yeah, time yeah, 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 yeah. everyone's constantly it's only when like don and bethy are alone that they actually you know it's they can be some sort of authentic well i don't know if I, that's the thing i don't know if betty well she i guess she is because we'll, we'll talk about that later um not yet it's interesting that betty does get very vulnerable at one point but anyway um um yeah but it's, it's interesting how the end of the scene with peggy and pete where peggy just tells pete you know have a great trip in a very sort of you know really sort of not really attached kind of way like she doesn't really care and i think that's kind of interesting because it's like the fact that he's able to open up to her and tell her all this stuff and she doesn't get affected by it i don't know if that's a bad thing for him i think he kind of appreciates that like it's it's just the fact that he can tell someone that they don't freak she out. but i don't think she is in a position where she can i don't think she shows vulnerability in the in the episode i don't think she does and i think the reason for that is because she because she's she's not in a position where she can really yeah. i mean what like he's there going oh adoption where is me or oh, i'm going on a plane where is me like she's had yeah. an illegitimate child That's true. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. she's never gonna you know she's never had an opportunity to go on a plane That's fantastic. so it's like it, it's her arm is still up because she's not going to go oh you know I'm really sad that I'm not going to get to do those things because she's trying to be where Pete is already yeah true and it's like she can't show that she's weak because she's already I mean Don's already like given her a little bit of a like haven't you guys looked at what she wrote yeah. like all that kind of stuff she's trying to prove herself yeah and I think she won't show her vulnerability for that very reason that's a good point whereas I think he's sort of where he he He's sort of going on his trip and he's he's got he's got everything he's got everything and he's complaining about it he's yeah, exactly it's really weird um but yeah i think and i think we leave pete there um so we should go into the final the final story well not the final this is this is the third to the second to last i guess okay so betty oh okay basically what i'm talking about the one that you came for the one, the one that made the episode bearable. The, the main attraction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where do we start with this? I guess we start this when she phones Don. Yeah, with the phone call. So you're talking about vulnerability. She's able to be vulnerable with Don. But is she, or is she, she needs him to put up the front? What do you mean? Well, she, the, she needs Don to put up the front so when she goes back to see her family he's with her oh i don't know so so the, i i read that scene totally different so i i read that scene in the same way that you know like pete's talking to to peggy he's basically saying all this stuff to her and she's basically taking it all in and going you'll be fine and then he kind of feels but like actually we didn't talk there's one thing we didn't tell you about pete at the end of the episode pete's asleep like he's chilled out relaxed on the plane happy right oh yeah so it's almost like him talking to peggy has kind of like allowed him to i mean you say that but he's got a face he's got an eye mask on yeah so it's almost like he can't look can't see this is true but he's also asleep how I do mean, you know he's asleep i don't know he can't see his eyes you can't see his eyes <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna sh- for in order for me to make this narrative i'm gonna say okay. he's asleep right fine 
I'm going to assume he's asleep and he's like peaceful and he's happy because he's had this chat with uh, Peggy and it's almost like a, a therapy thing, right? Um, and so Betty phones up. I think Betty phones up Don because she just wants to unload and get really upset and get really worried about her dad. She doesn't want anything from him. In fact, he says, like, I'll come and I'll do all this stuff for you. And she's at the end of the call, she's really kind of like, God, if you have to, you know, she, she seems as exasperated about it to me. You don't agree? I mean, I don't know. I feel like she could, if she didn't want him to go, she'd just say no. I think she did, though. I think she said to him, um, yeah, she keeps saying no. She keeps saying, like, you don't have to worry about it. And he just says, he literally doesn't listen to anything she says. He wants to save the day. He wants to be the hero. And he's kind of like, I'll be there in the morning. And she, and he just turns up. So he comes along. But, I mean, all right, fine. But then look at Betty's episode where she just wants to be rescued. Which one's that? I mean, that's the whole thing with Glenn, isn't it? I mean, that's the whole reason. We'll get to that. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying is this is a typical example of, of Betty tricking someone. I don't think she's tricking him, though. I literally, I think she wants to be on her own. I think she Well, if w- she wanted to be on her own, then she could have been on her own. But I think... she I, didn't. Okay, so... Okay, that's another point. Let's, so, I don't think... Okay, so I don't think it's that clear-cut where she definitely does want to be on her own. I think she... Clearly, she wants to be on alone because she told him to, to leave and she doesn't want to live with him. But I feel like he's kind of like trying to get back in there. He's yeah, um, yeah, I'd agree with that. And she has a difficulty telling him no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, and this idea that she's kind of sort of unstable in her thinking, I think, goes the whole way through the episode. Uh, and at the end, it's kind of resolved. But we'll sort of talk through it as we go, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't worry, I'm not tricking you. <laughs> you seem really suspicious. Um, so the next time we see them is... Um, well, The ne- I guess the next time we see them is... Don says, the Don's, house, yeah, isn't it? Don says he'll... I just wanted to say something about the lights that they have on in the... Actually, I won't even bother with that. Um, the lights yeah, that they have on? There's a symbol about the lights. But oh, jeez. Um, so the next time we see them is when they turn up at the house. And I found this scene really hard. This 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 scene is probably the reason it took so long to get through this show. Because it doesn't... It doesn't seem to have a specific theme to me, I don't think. Apart from the fact that Betty's kind of, in the scene to me, Betty is kind of almost being given this role of being the mother and she doesn't want it. She's kind of, she wants to be the daughter. She wants to be like looked after and all this kind of stuff. And and she doesn't want to be the caring person. I don't know, if, did you get that? Or am I, am I making that up in my head? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you get the whole way through that she wants to be the daughter. Yeah. But I think for me, this scene and similarly with, to a point, Pete scene and even the concept of adoption mm. is I think it's it's more about like how how well do you actually know your parents? How well, well do you actually know what's going on with them? Okay. And what's... Because I mean, she... Because I think the big thing is, oh, he's had another stroke. Mm. 
Mm. And she's like, there was a, there was one before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think it's that whole thing of, you know, she doesn't know that. She, I mean, she acts like she's sort of daddy's little angel, but actually she doesn't know. They haven't told her anything. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like things like that came out of the blue for me. I, I didn't really know how it all fit in with the rest of the episode. I think there's something about him having two stri- strokes and not... It's It reminds me a lot of... Um, what's his name? Uh, Roger having two heart attacks. And I think... When I think about Roger having two heart attacks, I think a lot about existentialism. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... Oh, you notice how quiet it is. And... Um, I told you he'd tire himself out. And thing about exits i think this is like i think the point is for me the reason that comes up is the fact that for betty this is like a big deal like she's this is a big point in her life it's like the idea that um so to bring up the lights again when they come in betty turns on the light and um she says we're supposed to keep it dark yeah she turns and um and gloria turns the light off and that reminds me of the song um, Don't Think Twice It's Alright by um, Dylan, um, Bob Dylan. Right. And it's used at the end of the final episode in the first season, right? And the whole song is about how it's the end of this guy's relationship and he's like, you know, don't turn the light, you know, don't turn the light on for me now, it's too late and all this kind of stuff. And it's almost like she's turning the light, you know, in reference to that song, her turning the light on is like her sort of like calling her father back because she's left Don and she wants some other father figure to look after her. Mm-hmm. So she wants to be this, this daddy's little girl sort of thing. And, um... And this, that I think this whole first scene is about that, and it's and it's also about how the the fact that Don can't play that role. So if you watch that the whole scene, Don is really useless in the scene. Mm-hmm. Like he, he doesn't he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't like. And at the end, they talk about the turnpike and whether you took the turnpike. And like for me, like Don keeps trying to get into the conversation. He keeps trying to say stuff like you know like a turnpike, but all these other people are sort of like taking over and like getting in front of him and stuff um so i kind of like that i thought that was really cool um and then we move on to the next scene with them two where um we see peggy in is i think it's a mother's bedroom i'm not entirely sure it's like the study or something betty did i say peggy yeah oh god (laughs) you go into the next scene where betty is in the study or the mother's bedroom is it the bedroom? I don't know. I don't remember what happens in the scene. Well, she's staring at a picture. Oh, uh, the, oh, is this the bit with like, where's the missing vase or whatever? Yes, yeah, yeah, the 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 symbolic vase. Yeah. Um, so she's staring at this picture, and then um, what's his name? Her brother, her brother comes. Up, her brother yeah. comes in. William comes into the the bedroom through the window, and it's all for me like William in this scene. T- William's kind of. I think this is like William's castration, right? So this is like about how William is, you know, how we talked before about how, you know, he's the good son. He's the one who does everything Mm -hmm. everybody wants him to do. He's the one that stayed at home. He's the one that looked after mum and dad. He's the one, you know, he's a dutiful son, but he doesn't have any, you know, this idea that some, some characters, some people are, 
kind of the phallus and some people own the phallus mm. and he is the <laughs> it's, it sounds, it's not as bad as it sounds but you keep he, calling people the phallus yeah i know <laughs> he is the phallus in fact if you think about it the fact that don draper's real name is dick kind of interesting anyway um so um so in this scene um, william is the phallus he's kind of like he's he's a good son but he's not very effective and betty's the one who's kind of like you know i want this and i'm so it's really demanding and she's like very much like her father and um i think uh, what, what's really funny for me in the scene is this this whole um jardinier thing you know that i said there's like three different types of lack and there's like three different agents well there's three different objects as well in correspondence yes i did <laughs> right okay so there's like three different there's three different objects as well so there's an imaginary object there's a real breast which we can get to in a second and then there's a symbolic phallus right um and the symbolic phallus in this sense is the jardinier right so that kind of suggests that that this is like some sort of um real privation what i'm saying is basically um i think there's a i, I think in this scene um betty basically is taking on the role of her father really slowly so she's kind of like trying to and it's all that identification stuff and, and all that kind of stuff. And and the reason we see the picture of her mother is because it's almost like at the beginning of the scene, she's kind of playing around with the idea of being the mother, but she doesn't quite, it doesn't quite fit with her. Um, yeah, so is there anything you want to say about this scene? Because I feel like I'm just rambling. Mm. <laughs> Not really. It's just her moaning that she couldn't get a vase or whatever. Well, yeah, really. I guess there's that thing, and there is this this idea of um, demand. It's entitlement, isn't it? Inheritance. Well, what yeah. does she get? Exactly, exactly. Um, so the next time we see them, I guess the best scene for me is the oh they go back to the um they go back to see Don and Judy playing with the jigsaw. Hmm. Um, and this is kind of like, I think this is full of imagery and sort of ideas and stuff. Um, glossed over it. You glossed over it. Well, it's like, I, I think it's a really quick scene of like them just kind of, you know, talking about lack. They're sort of like putting these pieces into like this, which is a massive lack. It's like a big sort of like image with like mm. a big chunk out of it. And Don's obviously, the both, the two of them are almost like, the two of them are almost talking about adoption. The two of them are almost like trying to be adopted by um, what's his name um, by Eugene. They're trying to be as best as good as they can, and obviously Don's trying to be as good as he can, but he can't actually get that far because Eugene Eugene doesn't like him. Mm. Um, and it's interesting that when Betty comes back, you know Eugene's going crazy and he's like screaming and shouting at him and stuff. And Betty just tells him to stop and he stops. And it's like, I think in that moment, it's kind of like Betty kind of takes on the traits of her father mm. and, and it kind of fits with her to the point where, you know, they all leave and go and get lunch or dinner or whatever. Um, 
which I could say more stuff about, but I won't. But um, they all go and get dinner, and when then then Don's like, um, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, "Let's let's," you know, he's trying to be all sort of manly about it and everything, and she just tells him, "No one's around. You have to pretend." Oh yeah. And um, and it's like I think in that moment she takes on the fact like. She, you can tell she doesn't like Don in that moment. And it's very much like her father not liking Don as well. It's like she's kind of taken on those traits of her dad, which I think is really, really cool. Uh, but you glossed over it, so... Well, the, also, the more the beginning, like, I remember the end. Okay. Um, with her, because he's trying to comfort her, isn't he? Yeah. And she... He has no people. She doesn't want, she doesn't want to be comforted. What do you think about him saying he has no people? Well, he doesn't really. But I think that goes back to this idea of lack, doesn't it? It's literally, it's this, it's, I think that's the point is because it never gets mentioned when he says it, because it stands out like it, like, you know, I've seen this show a couple of times and it's one of the scenes that stands out to me all the time is this, this idea of um, uh, Eugene shouting that at Don. And like not really understanding the con the, the the context of it and like why it, but it, it really just stick in the brain, mm. um, and I just think the um, the 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 strength of it of him saying it is is because Don never speaks about it and it's this idea that you know we all have this lack and we should talk about this lack because if we don't, the fact that we don't is kind of a bit weird because it's almost like why isn't this person talk about their feelings why isn't this person being a bit more open you kind of view that person with suspicion which is exactly how um eugene views don it's kind of with this kind of not really sure what to make of him thing so he doesn't really trust him around his daughter um yeah i think that's and uh, again and again just the fact that he's he tries to be really sort of helpful to betty again and she tells him to you know sling it up um but yeah, so that's the end of that scene. Anything to add? No. No, okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm just doing a little talking. <laughs> Wait until we get to Glenn. Okay, okay, okay. This is what then this. it's then it's Helen's time to shine. All right, okay, okay. Um, okay, so this is my favourite scene in the whole thing. Um, the bedroom. The bedroom. <laughs> so, right, let's talk about the bedroom. Because is it a dream? Ah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good, that's a good. So, because I was like... Because it's the way it's filmed is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. He's making up the bed on the floor. Yep. And then they ch- it changes to, yep. to like dark. And then she just gets out of bed, yep. lies on top of him, yeah. starts kissing him, and then they fuck. Yeah. And then he wakes up and she's not there. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, was that a dream? And I think he, he almost doesn't know, even towards... Because he sort of... I think he sort of assumes that it happened and that that means that they're back to normal because they had sex exactly exactly so in his head because women only want to have sex with you when they're in love with you yeah yeah yeah. and i think it depends on whose point of view you're looking at it I, i agree and i think my read on this scene is that the whole kind of scene from beginning to end to him waking up to them going into the bedroom and then is kind of like it's like a little microcosm of their relationship where you know they go they go home um, they meet each other 
they go on a date or whatever they tear each other's clothes off or they, they sort of get dressed really really they, they, they get naked really really quickly um, and then you see this, that, that weird shot where you see the shot of her and she's on the bed she's above him and he's in this like on this towel mm. and his rags on the floor and it's kind of like and she physically goes down to meet him so it's like you know in, if you think about their relationship like that's kind of what happened where mm. she's kind of She's an uptime girl. What's, yeah, what's, what's living the in an uptime world. <laughs> Sloving it. That's but she never had a backstreet guy. <laughs> that's 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 it. Exactly what I was, that's that's exactly what I'm seeing it as. Where where she's kind of sloving it with him, and she's kind of like trying something out, and she's not entirely sure she she wants to be with him, but stuff happens, and they end up in a relationship together, um, and the end of their relationship is. Basic and and if you look at it from Don's point of view, it is like a dream, right? Mm. It's like he's this, this poor kind of wretched guy. He's kind of like from literally the dirt. He's been treated like crap all his life, and he's like, and then this supermodel woman comes and sort of whisks him away, sort of thing. And it's like it's interesting that she does all the sort of moves, and she kind of like, you know, uh, she makes the the she she's the one that kind of makes it happen, sort of thing. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I saw it as well, where it's it's almost like, from her point of view, it's her sort of like slumming it and sort of getting down and dirty with the farm boy or whatever. Right. <laughs> so it's like a whole Mills and Booth novel. <laughs> and from his point of view, it's like, you know, <laughs> the light of success is shining down upon him sort of thing. Um, and then he wakes up and it's, it was a dream and it's like, now it's over. And, and it's interesting that she's, he wakes up and he's kind of like, did that happen sort of thing? It's mm. like, uh, to, and yeah, you're right. The character's thinking, are we back together? But I think you could also read it as the fact that it was a dream and, and now it's over sort of thing. And, I, and I'm waking. And also, oh, yeah, also, I guess so. also the fact that he wakes up in this, um, in this bedroom, this, this child's bedroom with all the child paf- paraphernalia around him. It's almost like, it's almost like he was very immature when they got together and now he's like still in that immature state and she's kind of just left him and he's like has to fend for himself sort of thing yeah that's interesting and it gets a bit deeper when we talk about Glenn later on oh god oh god (laughs) um and then we I guess we've got this breakfast scene where I don't know yeah this one's a bit this I, I guess the point of this scene for me was the fact that Betty's kind of is she is she the daughter? Is she the is she the mother? Who is she in this role? And you know what? I think it's really interesting that as she's smoking, they say to um, Gloria says to her, "You get um, wrinkles." You get wrinkles. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of like the idea that she's still quite young, sort of thing. And it's a very similar um, thing that remember ages what... ago. Go on. No, you go. Well, I was going to say, you remember ages ago in Red in the Face. When um, Roger, <laughs> I think it's replaced Indian Summer now as the most referenced episode ever. <laughs> when Roger was um, smoking, and Cooper told him off for smoking, and he told him that story about um, he told him that story about uh, Hitler, and how um, Hitler hid some guy's cigarettes and it made him do all kinds of stuff. And I think that's kind of if you think about. Um, and it's almost like in that scene, um, 
Cooper is his dad telling him what to do and stuff. And I think it's a very similar scene here, whereas Pe- Betty comes across as quite young now, as opposed to. But that's not. It's all relative, though, isn't it? Because I mean, if you're in your sixties or seventies, like being in your thirties is young. Yeah, yeah, true. Do you true. Know what I mean, true. But it, I think it, it's more kind of referencing the fact that she just slept with with Don, and you know, like I said, Don wakes up in this. I think she's still quite immature as well from that point of view as well and the show's telling us that she's quite immature sorry what were you saying no just that but it's it's all relative really i mean isn't it interesting that he wakes up i mean i didn't come up with this you said it first but he wakes up in a room full of toys yeah and she's being lectured about looking up starting to look old yeah 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 yes it's yeah. Yeah, it's that's kind of and then he ca- she, he comes down and is offered waffles. Yeah. She's eating fucking grapefruit and I was like I'd be fuming. <laughs> like I came down and there was grapefruit and then they offered my brother waffles or my but whatever. It's also interesting that they offered Don like lots of stuff and he just says, No, I'm I'm happy with what I've got sort of thing. Mm. And he just kind of just leave me alone. I'm fine. Um just happy to be there sort of thing. Um, so we see, then we see the interest, I'm not going to go into it because it's too confusing, but there's this whole thing where, uh, the dad kind of, he, uh, one minute he talks to, (laughs) (laughs) we've got, we still, we still got Glenn to go. Hold on to that. I know. Hold on to that. I know. Well, apparently this is the third of four, so (laughs) there's a whole other narrative to go. We'll skim through, we'll skim through Doc. But, um... The, the, the fact that um, Betty is, uh, she at one point, she is the, she's the wife of her dad. Well, she, symbolically, she's his wife, right? And the next point, she is symbolically is his daughter again. And it's all really confusing. And to me, that's really a representation of her mental state as opposed to what's going on in the scene where she doesn't know which one she is. Mm. She's kind of confused. And what's really interesting about the end of the scene is the fact that because she's so confused, Don has to comfort her. And I think that's kind of, you know, the script, the the shot kind of slows down mm. and it looks quite ominous. And it's like she's in a really precarious point there where she could literally end up going back to him because she doesn't know what to do. But what then what happens is... Viola comes to save the day. Mm. And uh, we see, like, the scene. Do you have anything to say about this scene? I mean, just really liked her. <laughs> she's really... She's but, awesome. So, again, I'm going to try and skim over this Lacanian thing, but the idea that you've got, like, an imaginary mother, you've got a real mother, and you've got a um, symbolic mother. Mm. Uh, so the imaginary mother is... Um, um, what's her name? Um, Gloria. Gloria. Yep, Gloria. And the real mother is her mother, who's dead. And then you've got the symbolic mother, who does all of this stuff. And she kind of... And the symbolic mother um, kind of reflects um, Betty's kind of frustration and the fact that she doesn't really know what to do and she's kind of confused. Um, And it's interesting when she's talking to Betty about her father you get the double thing of like she could also be talking about Don as well no well she says like he's what does she say oh god I lost it now it's going to take another 15 minutes for me to find 
um, where she said she she basically she says he doesn't know who I am and he's very very sick and all this kind of stuff. And to me, it could she could easily be talking about how you know she could easily be talking about Don. She could easily be talking about um, either one of them. Mm. Um, and it's to me. And it's that idea again of like of transference and of how she takes on um, uh, Viola's kind of strength in a way when she's got and you know she kind of you know, talking about vulnerability she's like her she's, floodgates are open she's crying her eyes out and stuff and it's like she takes that on so when we get to the next scene which is them at the door um, to the house. Um, Don says he will go upstairs and have a shower, like, shower, yeah, shower and all that kind of stuff. And she tells him no, and she tells him, you know, you have to leave. And I, I thought that was a really good uh, conversation as well, because um, there's so many kind of like cool things. I, and you know, I, I don't want to go through them because it's just there's too much. <laughs> but even in that little sort of like, was it like minute and a half like scene? There's so many little things that they say. Like for instance, um, she said he says, "I think like Don says to Betty, I think I should be here for you." And Betty says, "That's like she says that's your reason." But if you read it a different way, you, she could be saying it in a way like like that's your reason, as if, as if to say like he's just making excuses to stay and stuff. Mm. Um, and there's other things that they say. Like, look, the, the the coolest line I think in in that whole thing is. We were just pretending, mm. and I think it kind of brings back that idea of them in bed and him waking up alone and all that kind of stuff. It's just kind of, and in the toy house, and sort of it's her sort of like trying something out, and it just went a bit too far, sort of thing. But I, I really like that scene. I think it's really cool. I think there's so much in it, but I think we should rush on before you pass out. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so then we move on to, I guess, this. Start talking about Glenn then. Ah, oh, Glenn. Oh, before we start talking about Glenn, before we start, before we start, I just want to talk about this—the little scene that happens beforehand, where Betty's all by herself. Okay. It's again, it's this idea of lack and like isolation. It's like she kind of so emotionally or thematically, she's kind of told Don to go away, and now she's kind of alone, and the only thing she's got with her is the dog. You know, like dogs were used in that scene ages ago when mm-hmm. when Rachel was talking about how she uses dogs to kind of protect her emotionally and like I think the dogs are protecting the dog is protecting and that's all she's got though she's kind of like locked herself in this this, this tower or this like this house on her own um, and you know this whole like I said the whole the fact that there's nothing else there it's just her and it's literally a, a representation of lack um, yeah and then Next day, she goes out and she sees Glenn in the toy house. In the Wendy house. In the Wendy house, yeah. Um, he'd been just hanging out for three days. Yeah, so... God knows where he's been pooping. <laughs> Have you had anything Because we can go through... Well, I mean, it's, this, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? It's, 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 the whole thing is about Wendy house. It's about this house that was built and it's all pretend... And it's very much, and she goes along with it. Like with Glenn, you can kind of see her going along with it. It's like her emotional, like emotionally, she is the same age as Glenn in in terms of relationships, right? Well, maybe not, but maybe a bit older. But yeah, and Glenn's kind of 
Glenn's there waiting for her. Again, this is to me, Glenn. <laughs> in this scene, Glenn is basically done as far as Well, I mean, it's an interesting one because you could also say that Glenn is the kind of husband she wanted. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Don to be. Yeah, he's the perfect. He's a perfect representation of Don. Exactly. He's the ideal ego. But you can all... There's like a weird transition throughout it. What do you mean? Well, the thing is, it's almost like she slipped into it because she... There's there's a safety in a, in a role, like in a daughter, yes. mother, wife. And I think, you know, we established quite a lot in, in season one that this was the life that she was supposed to have as this kind of housewife. Yeah. And she found it fucking boring. Yeah. But actually, you know, suddenly Glenn's looking at her through these lens of like this perfect wife, this yeah. perfect woman. And she wants to be that because, and it's about, that's, it's the, it's the role you fulfill. It's exactly what Viola said to her, which is, you know, you go back to your husband and your family and you, yeah. you have to do that thing <laughs> yeah. because that's what you do. They're yours. And this is what, you know, everyone's got their place and that's that. Mm. And it's kind of like with Glenn. It's really, I mean, it's really she. She makes him a. She puts Don's clothes on him. <laughs> and then she makes him a sandwich. <laughs> Can I? There's a joke. I think there's a joke in this in this scene. Uh, in one in part of this scene that I think is fucking hilarious to me anyway. Uh, where when they go into the house, she says. She says. Um, no, he says, can I use your toilet? And then she says, yeah, I'll just go and um, put your clothes... Do you want me to put your clothes in the laundry? Right? And the fact that they do, they, they do that is a bit weird because the only time we've seen... Um, the only... Every time we see someone in the toilet, or the, the only time we saw, we saw Glenn in the toilet was when he was watching Betty... And he's kind of getting his rocks off. Mm. And we also saw Pete in the toilet getting his rocks off. (laughs) Lovely visuals. (laughs) And then the fact that, and it's specifically because Betty says, I'll do some laundry as well. Because that reminds me of... (laughs) So filthy. I don't know. All he ever goes on about is phalluses and people getting their rocks off in the toilet. <laughs> and it, to me, it's like this this whole scene, Like I'll, I'll just say it. Like, I think this whole thing from her meeting Glenn to literally them, like Glenn going off with, um, with Helen, or Glenn going off with the kids even, is basically a relationship. It's like you know, it's marriage. It's like from dating all the way to having kids and get it's like literally a whole marriage in the afternoon um, yeah totally because and what's really interesting skipping forward ahead slightly is when um what's the daughter called sally, sally. when sally comes in she's like okay let's go wash up before dinner whereas with him she's like yeah. You take your clothes. Yeah. It's very different. It's a very different vibe. It is, it is, yeah. And totally. then there's, she's sitting there watching him eat his dinner. Yes. Well, she, she, and he's well, like, why aren't you eating? Yeah. And then he sort of feeds her, right? And there's like, I feel that there's a, there's a weird thing between food and sex where like, so, you know, speaking about Lacan again, there's this idea of, I tried to talk about it before, where you have this demand, actually, hold on. So you, the, this, the idea that um, food 
and sex are these two main drives that people have, right? Um, and when you're a child, um, you sort of associate food with love. And as you, when you get older, you associate sex with love. And they're kind of like the two of them sort of like together or kind of, I think they make a really good thing. And I, I, it's amazing how they managed to wait. What? what? <laughs> it's amazing. What do you mean? He's saying that Glenn and Betty are a good couple. <laughs> no, I'm not saying they're a good couple. I'm just saying it's really clever how they've managed to do this without making it too creepy. It's a bit weird, but it's not too... It's not too creepy. It's hot. It's like really creepy. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> and it only gets creepier as time goes on. <laughs> because then he's sitting on the sofa with her. Yep. Holding hands. Holding hands. And yeah. she's got like a little Coke bottle or whatever. And she's like <laughs> sucking out the straw. And then he's like, I don't even like ham sandwiches. She's like, oh, do you want me to make you a mac and cheese? And then he doesn't say anything. And it's like, ah, I can't handle it. But I think that's the thing. So I think in, a, in this episode, it keeps coming up. This The fact that there's a lot of um, pauses and a lot of like awkward situations and it is to me it, it is the idea of there's a lack this is this idea of lack and this and every time there's a lack it's about it's a, then a character has to kind of grow from that and i think uh um glenn but i think both of them gr- grow from this situation but i love that when they're sitting on the thing and there's, there's there is this kind of like awkward pause it's like if you go back to this whole idea of uh don it's being an analogous to Don and Betty's relationship um, when there's that pause that's when the kids come in to the to the house mm. and to me thinking about their relationship thinking about Don and Betty's relationship it's like okay so they've got married we've kind of you've gone out on lots of dates we've had our fun what do we do now we can either split up or we can have kids sort of thing mm. and it's kind of you know what I mean it's like how you end up sort of like in this situation where you're in this relationship with someone that you you don't really know and you don't know why you're with them. You're just going through the motions. And I feel like when Sally and Bobby come through the door, that's kind of a representation of that. It's mm. a representation of them having kids uh, out of boredom from <laughs> nothing else or out of a lack. So the kids come in and then Sally says, do you want to see the train station, right? And train then, set, yeah. Or the train set. So they go to the train set. Uh, I like the idea that they use the train set, right? Because um, it reminds me, and, and it's why I kind of thought of this being like a relationship between Betty and Don, like a, an, an analogous to that. Because we remember in really early on, in one of the earlier episodes, Don kind of freaks out when he finds, you know, when he's really bored in his family and he's like really sort of miserable because he's kind of, you know, at the the, the kids party and all that kind of stuff and then his answer to that is to go and stare at a train oh yeah <laughs> so it's kind of like, and he's literally going through the whole dog thing um and then we see like um it cuts to this scene of you see um glenn sitting on a chair it's glenn sitting on a on a, on a seat uh on a sofa and um Actually, before before that happens, um, Betty phones up Helen, right? Um, I wanted to say something about Carla as well, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, the next scene is we see 
uh, Glenn's in on the sofa and we see Sally on the on the carpet, right? Which is really similar to the earlier scene with Don and Betty in bed. This time the the okay. <laughs> this time they they they're reversed, right? And I was thinking, why would they do that? And it's almost like to me, it's this thing of like. So if you think about how Betty's kind of learn how to deal like so when betty was very young she kind of like she basically let don do what he wanted because she had she was kind of quite um insecure and wasn't really sure of herself i think that's the show's kind of saying that that girls kind of lack a bit of confidence when they're younger so they will let boys kind of like be in the in the sofa they'll they'll let them go into the higher kind of i'm like does this make any sense um, <laughs> keep going. Am I talking? Am I talking um, uh, rubbish? I mean, maybe. <laughs> so, like, okay, so let me explain it better. So, obviously, when we when we see Don and Betty in that scene in bed, Betty's in this kind of like perfect. She's like in this really lofty position, and mm. Don's on the floor, right? And like, and I think it's interesting that Sally lets. Um, let's Glenn onto the sofa, and she's remember this is her house, so she really should be sitting on the chair, and he should be on the floor. I mean, I don't know if you can compare a scene about two adults <laughs> with one about two kids. Well, let's I just, just say. I feel like that's a stretch for me. All right, fair enough. Well, I mean, it just... might not be for you, but it is for me. Okay, fair enough. I feel enough. like the kids, they don't decide whether they're going to sit on the sofa based on, like, Freudian principles or whatever. Well, yeah, obviously, it's kind of... It's set up. heightened. But, um, it's yeah. set up, but it's... Yeah, I'm not saying... I'm not saying they thought about it. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, I guess we'll just do the last part now. Well, almost the last part. Yeah, where Helen shows up. So she's like, "You naughty boy, you get home right now." Well, we can skim over all that for it. So she basically gets, she basically takes him away. He says, "I hate you." She's like, "I "I know." And this is kind of like this to me is like Helen. Oh, not Helen. Sorry. This is to me is like Betty, a grown up. She's kind of she doesn't care what people think about her. She knows what she has to do. She knows what the right thing to do is. She doesn't mind that he hates her because she knows that he's got somewhere else to go. She t- I think she tells him to th- something about they have to go home. And I think mm. the word home kind of means, associates with sort of dealing with your own issues, right? And it happens a lot in this episode. And so she takes him away and then she comes back. And then they have this weird conversation. And I thought this conversation was great. Yeah, me too. I, I thought it was good. Um, and I think it kind of, all that stuff I was saying about vulnerability and sort of like lack and opening up and think it's all in that scene where you know because it's quite it's quite they're very sort of open with each other like you know um, Helen's very angry and she they talk it out and they hash it out and they're very open with how they feel so when when Helen says all that stuff to her Betty then there's a line that she says where where Helen says I thought Dan was out of our lives and it'd be different yeah Glenn's right I'm not a good mother anymore. And if you change one letter in that entire thing, if you change Dan to Don, you basically 
Um, Betty could have said exactly the same. I mean, thing. I don't think Betty was ever a good mother. That's the <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know. <laughs> but you know, it, the idea is that the idea that the two of them in that moment are exactly the same person, and then to to the point where, did you see the shot of them when they're both smoking? Mm. They're both like profile, perfect, ex, ex, uh, perfect uh, mirror images of each other. Um, and then they yeah and then and then Betty sort of tells everything about how Don and and then it, it becomes this whole thing of them just sharing how they feel, um, and then there's a then there's that thing about sometimes she feels like she'll float away if Don isn't holding her down. Cut to Don floating away. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't put that together. That's pretty good. <laughs> Um, let's okay. Let's just we're almost finished. Yeah, we're almost. Do you want to? No, I just. I mean, I think that's a great line. You know, that whole because you can you can understand that that's something that you can relate to because the only reason is, is the anchors in our lives, like what the anchors are and how they keep us like in the spaces that we're in. So be it like a job, be it like, you know, a marriage, be it a house, be it whatever it is. Mm. Without an anchor, without without any reason. I mean, she has more than one anchor. She has children as well, but obviously she doesn't consider them to be very big anchors. She's got a family. She's got, well, she's got a family, I guess. (laughs) She's got a mum and she's got a dad and a brother. Don doesn't have anyone. And I think it's interesting that she says she thought that he was going to hold her down. But he's never been holding her down. She's she's always stopped him from floating away. It might even explain that thing about... Remember the balloon that we were trying to figure out for ages? No. In Babylon, you know, the red balloon? And we were sort of like, what does that represent? Oh, yeah, I think I vaguely <laughs> remember that, actually. But no, I think, I, think it was, I think it's good. I think after all that, after going through those whole shenanigans, I think she finally figured maybe figure something out so you know slow progress but <laughs> progress nonetheless it took a while to get it only there. took a whole fucking episode of <laughs> meetings and shit anyway um we need to talk about don quickly let's talk about don um i think i the only thing i really want to say about don is um because i i feel i feel like we've glossed over the whole you know the whole party thing so when he turns up at the office and you know it's already quiet and then he goes into the he goes into the big thing and there's like the big you know the the, the baby shower hmm. i think that's quite significant as well the fact that the, so this I, I keep trying to talk about this thing need no demand is demand minus uh need equals desire right so what that kind of means is demands that you as a baby you sort of cry for things yeah then you get what you need and it might be food it might be but then along with that comes this thing that you can't really articulate which generally tends to be love and then you've got in this scene you've got harry with a baby thing on his face and they're giving him all these presents but at the same time there's this whole you know as much as as cynical as that office is you can tell that everyone cares about him to some point you know they're all laughing and joking about him i think it's a representation of that then also in that scene you've got that cake which kind of also represents like 
some sort of desire also represents the kind of love to the point where at the end of the whole thing um joan says can i have some of that cake when she's sort of like told um told uh paul, paul he's not going on the trip um what else is in this scene but then you've got the whole thing with um cooper turning up i feel like i'm just talking now but i feel like we need to get this out of the way <laughs> i feel like i don't really remember that scene you don't remember the scene at all that, I, that's, really, that's like a massive scene for me well i mean it, you could say it's quite late they on have, they have episode. a party in pretty much every episode so <laughs> okay it's just this one happened to be a baby shower fair, fair enough You've got this weird... Uh, so, there's one more thing I want to say about the whole scene before we move on. Um, so, I think this whole this whole first scene, specifically, uh, the first half of this scene, is very much about... <laughs> so, very much about patriarchy, right? And it's very much about how all of us, man, woman, whoever we are, we're all, we all inherit this kind of patriarchy. We all inherit this kind of... We're born into this world where being a man is seen as some sort of you know for some reason it seems as some sort of like um good thing as opposed to being a woman um especially at that time in those in those days right Mm. and there's it's just this whole thing of like the suggestion that this baby might be a kid that might be a boy do you know what I mean and it's like there's never a suggestion that it could be a girl I think that's kind of what all the little signs in the scene are kind of trying to point towards um and yeah and, and the whole thing on the cake that says it's a crane which is kind of like obviously a label and it's like a telling you exactly what the baby is before you've even seen what the baby is it's kind of very much your and you know the whole playboy thing with the playboys and it's all very kind of but that's the thing that's the joke that they're making isn't it they've put a grown man in a bonnet and he's going to be a father yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, and very... it's even it's even very yeah. They're sort of like um, they're celebrating the father as opposed to the mother, and it's all very much about him. And yeah, it's very very male dominated, which I thought. Was... But it's not even male. Do- it's also, like I say, a grown man in a baby bonnet. <laughs> like they're they're basically visualizing what they're trying to say, which is that these men are babies. Oh yeah, having exactly. kids themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess, and yeah, you're right. The, 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 the men as, as, as children. And then we see the scene with Don and he goes into the, uh, he goes into the room with, with, um, with, with Joan. And Joan is very much his mother in that scene and she's very looking after him and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess then we can kind of just end the whole thing by talking about the final scene where Don's floating away. Smoking on the plane. Well, Don's basically doing what Bobby did, right? He's, oh, Bobby, Glenn did and like running away from his problems. He's been rejected by, you know, by, um, by, um, by Betty. And now he's kind of running away and sort of like just trying to get away from his problems and stuff. Um, what's interesting is, you know, the song at the end, mm. it's called Telstar. It's by, I can't remember the guy's name. It's by this producer thing is the producer put the song out and then he was sued so the song got held back and he made millions and millions of dollars off it but he couldn't have them uh because he got sued so then he killed himself <gasps> and then it turned out he didn't need to get sued in the first place <laughs> oh no so, that's awful yeah and so and i think 
it's kind of reflecting on Don's kind of this idea of lack and not appreciating what you've got and not until it's too late. If that makes any sense. I could probably go into more detail, but I won't. Does that click? So what's Don's lack then? Well, Don, the fact that Don doesn't really kind of appreciate that he has, like he, he just runs away from his problems. He doesn't tell anyone about those problems. He doesn't open up about them to anyone. So he's like, he, in effect, he is running away from his problems and he's just like a ticking time bomb. Anything could happen with him. I, like I said, this guy committed suicide, right? I don't want to spoil anything. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, we still have like five more seasons, right? Yeah. So, but I feel like I feel like this kind of I feel like it's quite an o- ominous thing mm. to finish the song to finish the episode of that tune. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the episode. Um, don't know if you have anything that you want to add. It's just been me talking for. No, I like I say. I mean, I just personally. It, I didn't really enjoy the episode like it just was felt very like I mean sometimes here's the thing right mm-hmm. sometimes to me if all this subtext that you're saying is there is was there and was built in to be there mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like they should have just focused on the story right okay for the, for the <laughs> dumb nuts like me who were just like I mean it was just as I say, the Glenn bit was interesting just because it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> and the dream bit I quite liked because it was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it, like doing, fucking, watching someone do a jigsaw. I mean, come on. <laughs> As someone who used to work in television, like that shit would not fly. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But, you know, I mean, it, I, all I can say is I hope it picks up a little bit. I hope, okay, well... Here's my hope. Yeah. I hope that Betty just turns into, like, an absolute, you know... Oh, I just want to say... Dragon. I just want to I want to say slut. Right. I'm not slut-shaming because I feel like it's... I want her to go out and have a good time. Right, okay, okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I want her to slag about a bit. Okay, okay. He's been slagging about. Yes, he has. He has. It's her turn. Fair enough. I say nothing. I but I also it. think she's just a bit unstable. Yep. <laughs> I, I feel like she could turn into a serial killer. They're all a bit unstable, let's be honest. Yeah, but she's way... I mean, who holds hands with a 12-year-old boy <laughs> and watches cartoons? Like, that's just fucking weird. <laughs> I think, metaphorically... It put things. It, it gave things an ending. Let's just say that. That it did. Uh, I think that's it. I think we've. Uh, oh, I just want to say, like, because we talked about ages ago, back in back back way back when um, we were talking about whether we thought this show was um, uh, feminist. Mm. It just keeps going through my head, and and this was off air. We didn't talk about this on it. And um, and you just made a really good point that you didn't think it was. No. And I kind of agree with you. I don't think it is. Now, it, now this is an interesting thing there because I can understand why some people would think that it was. Yeah. It really depends on your, what your view of what feminism is. Yeah. And I think that is really disparaging. And the reason I say that is because 
I recently went to a book group okay. where we read a book that was declared a feminist book and oh. I did not think that it was a feminist book. Mm. And I went to this book group and was like, this isn't a feminist book. She spends the whole book talking about a man. Like, how is this feminist? Mm. And it's set in like Greek tragedy era, whatever the hell that was. Like, And there was a woman there who said, yeah, but feminism isn't necessarily about being the hero. You don't have to be Xenia, warrior princess to be a feminist. Yeah. She's like, feminism can be about endurance, endurance, endurance of like the conditions that women went through. Mm. But I still don't feel like Mad Men is a feminist show. Keeping in mind, we just had a whole episode about a woman breaking free. But it's, but that's, that's not what feminism is. But, and also Mm. she doesn't just break free. It's almost like she can't, I feel like Betty doesn't know what she wants. Yeah. But Betty also relies on other people. So yeah, at the end, mm. she's gone, she's told her something. She hasn't actually done anything herself though. Okay. Yeah. I feel like... It's, uh, no, the only, reason I, the only reason I bring it up is because, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I kind of agree that it's not necessarily a you know, feminist, full-on feminist show. I feel like it's a bit... But I think it's, I think it works in a, in a specific way that it encompasses feminism, if that mm. makes sense. No, I see, no, I can, there are elements, definitely, but I think I would not call it a feminist show. A specific, yeah, okay, fair enough. I just wanted to put that in there, um, just to annoy people. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, I think, is that it? Are we done? <sighs> <laughs> I think we are. Okay. I think, I think, you know, we've managed to put Elton to sleep. Yeah, it's a bit late now. <laughs> I'm really sorry about the first half, everyone. I can only apologise for my 10-week-old kitten. Wow. Um, yeah, that's that was fun. Um, I guess it's just... Have um, fun editing! It's just, it's just time for me to say... Uh, what do I say? Sopranos is better. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. There we go, we've done it. Um, <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Thank you.